This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow. The federal fiscal update was delivered yesterday in a calm and measured way by Finance Minister Christian Freeland. But should our response as Canadians be calm and measured? You are welcome to weigh in at 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to our panel now for their thoughts. Bob Richardson, Liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations, and Kevin Lacey of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hello to you both. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Jane. Well, let's start with your overall impressions, highlights, and lowlights. Bob? Uh, I, I think it was sort of calm and measured. The words you mentioned are probably uh, fairly good. I think it gave us a sense that there's a plan that married with the uh, uh, the announcement that she made with the governor of the Bank of Canada this week. Uh, I think we see the deficit going down. It's still stratospheric, but it is going down. Uh, I think the job growth has been good. We're at about 106% uh, of where we were pre-pandemic. That's ahead of the U.S. I think on GDP, it's down from where I think the government would want it to be, but that's really more as a result of ongoing COVID, climate change problems, and the supply chain. So I think uh, I think the numbers were not hugely surprising. Uh, the government continues to uh, uh, have the, uh, if I could call it that, support of the bond rating agencies who give it AAA ratings. And I think uh, a number of external organizations have given them relatively good uh, marks for their pand- uh, pandemic management. Things that worry me about this budget, though, are uh, there wasn't enough on the innovation agenda. Uh, I get concerned that we're not focused on how we're going to reduce some of this government spending uh, as much as we should. And the OECD had a report out this morning that said uh, we're lagging in terms of overall uh, growth of the economy or they anticipated over the next 10 years. I think we have to take a serious look at that report and uh, make sure that that is not the case. So I would say overall uh, pretty good. Uh, but lots of room for improvement, too, as well. Kevin, with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, your thoughts? Well, maybe a, a different take. I, I don't didn't see it as calm and measured at all. In fact, um, I think Canadians have a lot to be concerned about with what they heard yesterday from the finance minister, particularly with regards to spending. The spending continues and continues and continues. And this is not free money that they're handing out. Um, that's being announced in this uh, economic update, this is going to come at a significant cost. The borrowing uh, as a result of uh, what's going to happen here in the next few years, uh, by the time they balance the budget, which they say is 26-27, though we've heard governments talk about balanced budget dates and never really hit them, uh, the interest we're going to pay on that debt is $200 billion uh, that it's going to grow by. Uh, that is a massive amount. If you think about just each and every Canadian, uh, what we're going to owe, this is, these are big dollars. And uh, the pen, if these support pen for the pandemic um, were really going to work, or we thought that uh, there was certainly a crisis about a year ago, but as we head now into the future, the, the, the pandemic is likely going to be with us for a very, very long time. We cannot continue to spend the way that we have uh, in the last few years, this is going to come at a cost. And all of the good things that Bob is mentioning is going to be sacrificed uh, as a result of all this government spending um, with very little fiscal restraint. Well, what does the deficit mean? And Bob, I'll ask you this. Uh, what does it mean to the average person when you hear $144.5 billion? What does that mean to me personally? Well, it should mean that there's uh, a lot of spending going on. I think uh, a lot of it has been justified. And by the way, uh, most of that spending uh, of the $145 billion deficit, all the parties in the House of Commons voted for this. 
This is not just the Liberal government. Uh, in fact, the opposition Conservatives um, proposed some extra spending for seniors and others um, uh, during, uh, during the last Parliament, too, as well. So it's not like it is a single party doing this. It was a pretty much broad consensus that we needed to have enough programs in place for people, for business, and we needed to put money in to fight COVID. Uh, I think the government's done a reasonably good job at that. Uh, I think getting out of it is tougher than getting into it. Uh, and I think we probably need to accelerate or, or get a little bit more aggressive on reducing some of the government spending. If you're just joining us, that's Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel to National Public Relations, Liberal Strategist. Kevin Lacey is with us as well of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I'm Jane for Libby, and this is Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Uh, we got a lot of calls in recent months, Kevin, from older people who are on fixed incomes, who had their guaranteed income supplement clawed back as a result of of receiving some federal aid money, which is taxable, as we all know, so that they are now getting one-time payments to put them back at even. Uh, you know, that is going to be great news uh, for many of the people that we talk to here at Zoomer Radio. I agree on that. And I agree with actually um, some of what Bob has mentioned previously in that when we headed into the pandemic, we obviously needed to um, put supports in place. And there are a number of mandates and things that we've uh, implemented over the last few months regarding vaccines that require businesses to um, improve their processes. And you see some of that in the budget with regards to uh, helping businesses get uh, achieve these mandates that the government has set in. I, I think there's some good reason for that. I think, though, the issue that Canadians and, you know, all of Parliament now has to deal with is that and talking about people on fixed income is you're seeing the rising cost of just about everything people need. So you're seeing the rising cost of milk and eggs. Geez, I was uh, reading about coffee going up 140% over the year. Um, these inflationary pressures have, are going to have a significant impact on uh, Canadians' pocketbooks. And so when we talk about these big numbers, $200 billion, $144 billion, all these really large figures that it's hard to get your mind wrapped around. This borrowing, there's so much money being uh, funneled into the economy, either by printing it or by borrowing it, that it's rising the cost of the goods of the things we need, and Canadians' incomes are not being kept up with it. Um, so you're you're seeing struggling middle class as a result of all this spending that government's doing. So it all sounds good on a press release. It all looks good when the government will now fan across the country and make these uh, announcements. Uh, but it's really important, I think, for the listeners and for Canadians to understand that these do have uh, significant costs that go beyond even just the borrowing um, and the lack of the ability of the government to spend money that is now going to go to interest payments on the money that we're borrowing on that deficit. Well, the day before the fiscal update, and Bob, you referenced this, uh, an inflation target of between 1% and 3% was announced by the finance minister and the Bank of Canada governor. How long should this take? And, you know, what can we expect, you know, knowing that prices went down in 2020 and now they're up and it doesn't look like food prices are going to go back down again? Uh, what is there any kind of reassurance that the federal liberals are offering Canadians on inflation? I don't think they can. Uh, I think, first of all, it is a global issue. It is not just a Canadian issue. And uh, in actual fact, if you take a look at a number of uh, c- uh, countries, we're actually doing slightly better than the United States and, and some of our uh, European allies in terms of the inflation issue. But, I mean, the inflation is being driven right now, let's be clear, by the problems with supply chains, by climate change, things like we saw in Abbotsford. Uh, you know, when you take out hundreds of acres of crops in this, in this case, uh, 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 out in, uh, you know, in the, in the Sumas Valley, um, you're going to have a huge problem. Uh, and you're going to see food prices uh, spiking. And that combined with, uh, I think some of the spending that has to go on related to COVID, which does help fuel some inflation. Uh, there's a problem there. So I think the government needs to, uh, do what it can to keep an eye on it, make sure that there isn't corporate gouging going on, uh, particularly in the food-related area, I would say, and also in terms of gas prices. 
But uh, overall, it's a problem. And uh, I think we're going to have to be realistic about it. And it's not just a Canadian issue. It's a global issue. Kevin, what about Jagmeet Singh's comment, the NDP leader's comment about uh, the failure to address anything around rising house prices? And they're not just rising incrementally. As we all know, they are skyrocketing. Is that a legitimate gripe? A legitimate gripe, indeed. Uh, And I think it feeds into... Canadians feeling coming out of this pandemic that while things are beginning to open up, um, while we're beginning to see the economy improve, uh, Bob mentioned uh, some really good numbers on the GDP and job growth, uh, which we, we can all be encouraged by. But you don't feel it because you're in your own pocketbook, you're getting hit with uh, things like the rising costs uh, of housing. And, uh, you know, I think the, the government does need to address it does need to address rising inflation, but what do they do? The only thing they can really do is to rein back some of the spending and the borrowing. That is the only lever they have to deal with inflation. So things like uh, price gouging, you know, fine. I think that's probably uh, good to have those measures in place. But, you know, we're seeing prices rise for things like milk that are regulated, that have regulated prices. Um, so that's that's not going to get us all of the way. It may sound good. Um, to, you know, in the public, but it's not going to actually achieve the goal of doing something about uh, the inflationary pressures Canadians are under. And to me, I think that's the biggest thing that's, that Canadians are facing right now and the biggest challenges, because I think those, as particularly middle-class families who are seeing uh, rising costs of gasoline as a result of government carbon taxes, um, rising costs of food, I think those are the issues that the Liberals... Um, if they're going to be successful in this term in office, is going to have to deal with. And there's only one way to deal with it, which is the opposite of what they've done uh, here in the last fiscal uh, statement. Meantime, we have new pressures with the Omicron variant. Uh, the finance minister said that they would spend $4.5 billion for so-called short-term cost pressures of the Omicron variant. And uh, on a final note, I'd like to know what you both made of the comment about another $1.7 billion to triple Canada's shipments of COVID rapid tests, but also the acknowledgement that only 15% of the tests that have been shipped to the provinces and territories have been used. I mean, and, and in, in the case of Ontario, some of the taxpayers are paying for these rapid tests twice, Bob. They're paying for them because they're a Canadian taxpayer and they're paying for them in the drugstore. Well, I, I live in Ontario and, uh, you know, I find uh, the province hasn't missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity in the last 18 months. They have been slow off the top on testing. Uh, their website was a mess. Uh, uh, we had that strange period of time with that general running around that accomplished nothing. Um, and the list goes on and on. And here we are. Uh, schools are not ready. The air is not clear. Uh, and here we are at the back end of the, hopefully the back end of the pandemic. And a lot of things should be rapid tests should be out like they are in Nova Scotia and other jurisdictions. I just came from the state of Washington. Super easy there. And somehow or other, that uh, this is all a, a surprise to the government of Ontario. Provinces need to get their act together on this. And the federal government needs to be more active at keeping people accountable right. and making sure that stuff gets out the door properly. So right. I mean, there's, we, there's, we, there's room yeah, for every government to improve here. Yes. But the performance in Ontario has not been great. No. And Kevin, you agree with Bob? Yeah, I agree. And I think that's actually true across the country. I think the biggest challenge for Canadians through this pandemic is trying to follow the rapidly changing and ever modification of the rules and what they're supposed to do. It's, it's extremely difficult to follow. I think most of the listeners would uh, would agree to that. But as a result, we're seeing like money blown on um, programs that don't work. You know, you've mentioned this one, but I go back to the start of the pandemic when people were complaining about PPE. There was not enough PPE. Where was it? How are we going to get it? Next thing we find out, Ottawa's throwing it out in some warehouse uh, up in Depean. So, this is not a new story. And to Bob's point, you'd think they would have gotten some of these processes in place by now to ensure this doesn't happen. Yet here we are again talking about yet another wasted uh, money uh, when it comes to COVID spending. Well, we certainly appreciate your time, both of you, uh, on Fight Back today and wish you well over the holidays. All the best. Stay safe. Thanks, Jane. Happy holidays. All the best.
Bob Richardson is a liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations. Kevin Lacey is with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He joined us from Alberta. Jane for Libby and coming up next, let's have a little fun. We'll, we'll see if the consumer trends for 2021 resonate with your own personal lifestyle. Consumer advocate Ellen Roseman joins us next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns tomorrow. We are all consumers. So when you think back over 2021, how were you buying and consuming compared with other years? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-744-740. Consumer advocate Ellen Roseman has been keeping track of the trends and joins us with the story. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Jane. We did this a year ago, you and I, and I'm wondering how much of the trends of 2020 stuck with us through this past year. Well, this was a very unusual year, you know, except for the first couple of months. We were living in lockdowns uh, on and off, and we were confined to home. And even if the stores weren't locked down, we were differently uh, shopping. We were nervous. We were nervous about going to stores. We were nervous about masks and going to theaters and uh, going to restaurants. And it really did make a change in our behavior. Those, uh, especially older Canadians who didn't really like shopping online, may have felt that they had to because it was really difficult to to negotiate stores. Uh, often there were lineups outside. So you were uh, shopping online whether you wanted to or not. Now, do you think, um, and you watch the trends, do you think that the trend of online shopping will continue uh, even after the pandemic? As people have realized, you know, when you do get what you want and it comes right to your door and there's no shipping, uh, that's that's a pretty nice deal. Absolutely. Uh, you sound like you're talking about Amazon. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually don't frequent Amazon all that much, um, but but I've done I basically all of my Christmas shopping online. Right. If you can get no shipping, that's great. Amazon has this Prime service, which uh, is a subscription that many people buy just because not only do you get free shipping, but it comes to your door the next day. Another thing to think about is that Amazon has quite a liberal return policy. If there's any reason why it doesn't work, you just tell them and you get your money back pretty pretty quickly. And uh, uh, one of the things I've noticed with online shopping, especially when you're not quite sure who you're dealing with, you know, online People, uh, companies can look fabulous. They can give you all kinds of promises. It's all, you know, just hunky-dory. And then the item comes. It might be delayed. It might be defective. You start calling the company to find out what's going on. You can't get through. Nobody really answers your questions. And in the worst-case scenario, many people have found this. They just aren't getting a refund at all. There's just nothing coming. So then they have to go to their credit card company and hope that through uh, an appeal to the credit card company, they can get the item, uh, the transaction reversed and they can get the money back. So my advice for online shopping is always to be really careful and do some research about who you're dealing with online before you you order. And uh, the best thing to do is just look up the company's name and look for complaints and go to the Better Business Bureau site and see what kind of ratings they have and what kind of complaints are posted online because many people just don't realize how dangerous it is to give your credit card to an online retailer who whose reputation you don't understand and right. know about. Yeah, you want to stick to uh, the the big companies, you know, and, and maybe you like to frequent Canadian companies, but that you know the name of, you know that they're legitimate, right? Right. Okay, well, when we're on that topic of online shopping, and you mentioned there about delays in getting the product to you, uh, and we heard about this from a lot of people, our friends and neighbors and family, you know, items like dishwashers or washing machines um, are taking, and hot tubs, taking yeah. months and months and months uh, to arrive. Um, yeah. is, this is, has certainly been a consumer trend. This is definitely an issue. Uh, it goes by the kind of... Uh, uh, jargony term supply chain. But what they're really talking about is that, number one, it's a lot harder to uh, grow or manufacture many of the things that we're used to because there's labor shortages, there isn't as much 
uh, movement between countries for workers. Uh, shipping has been disrupted. Uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, they haven't been able to get a lot of parts. The big uh, one that people know about uh, is furniture, appliances, and cars. And cars in particular are affected by these um, uh, uh, computer components that have been in short supply. Right. And most cars now are computerized, so new cars have been disrupted, and that means that used cars are harder to get and harder to get at a price that you think is affordable. So that's really affecting things. And then with kitchen appliances, suppose your fridge breaks down, you find one that you really like, you order it, and then you're told three months, and maybe three months will stretch out even longer. What are you going to use? You know, you, ha- you might have to rent a fridge or buy a small fridge or something because it's really hard to maintain your normal cooking if your fridge or your stove doesn't even work and a new one is in short supply. Right. That is a desperate situation for sure. Uh, if, if you have a story uh, which complements some of what Ellen is telling us today, Ellen Roseman, consumer advocate, she's talking about the trends of 2021 here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby, give us a call, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's talk about uh, another of the trends of 2021, the fast growth of trading of stocks and cryptocurrency at online brokers. That's that's a bit of a that's a risky move for a consumer, right? Yeah, it can be if you're inexperienced and you don't know what you're doing. It all started blowing up about a year ago, uh, January, February, when we were talking about meme stocks and about people who were communicating on a, a site called Reddit about a stock called GameStop which is a, a, a toy retailer in the U.S. that had been depressed for many years. And uh, the uh, people on Reddit were saying, well, let's all buy it and see if we can make the price go up. And they did. And uh, then everybody was piling on. And the problem with trading online through an online broker is that you're on your own. They have no responsibility to make sure that you are making a trade that is suitable for you. You don't have to give them any details about your level of experience or anything else. So if you make a mistake or if you do something that causes a big loss, you can't say, well, you should have stopped me because you should have known. They're not paying attention because they're not regulated in such a way that they have to do so. You are seen to be knowledgeable. So if you're not, that can be difficult. And uh, if you want to trade online or go online for your investments, probably the best thing to do is to go to something called a robo-advisor, which is an online portfolio manager where you just answer a few questions. They set up a portfolio of uh, low-cost investments for you, and then they manage it for you. So Wealthsimple is probably the best one uh, in terms of uh, reputation and, and size. And then there's a bunch of other ones as well. There's about 15 of those in Canada. And they're great for beginner investors or for older investors who don't want to get actively involved in managing their own portfolio. And of course, a lot of uh, Zoomers who are, you know, who have been saving money for a long time, saving and spending money and earning money. um, uh, Would you suggest going through the big banks uh, to having uh, somebody advise you on your finances in that manner? Is that that's probably one of the safer ways? Uh, it's good to have a, a, a full-service advisor uh, because at least you can ask questions. You can get a sense that they're looking out for you. But bank branches aren't necessarily a great place to go because they tend to sell only mutual funds. And lately, we're learning that many of them are selling only their own mutual funds, so they're not even giving you a good selection. And those mutual funds tend to have quite high annual expenses known as management expense ratios. They're, you know, maybe one and a half, two percent, even two and a half percent a year deducted from your returns uh, uh, of all the people who own the mutual funds. So if you have enough money, uh, it's better to go to the bank and ask to uh, get directed to their um, full service brokerage firm, you know, like RBC would have RBC Dominion Securities right. and CIBC has CIBC Wood Gundy uh, and just go to these uh, firms that they're looking for people with a bit more money to invest, but they're selling a wide variety of investments, not just bank proprietary mutual funds. Excellent. Let's go to Jennifer in Caledon. Jennifer, you have a question or comment? 
Yes, I have a comment about uh, your your comment about the uh, going online to the larger um, companies such as Amazon, and Amazon, in fact, has been repeatedly uh, sending packages incorrectly. I live in Caledon, and uh, for instance, if, if it was a water street on one side of Caledon and it's watered down on the other side, uh, we are getting repeatedly, and it has been going on for more than a year, <laughs> we're getting a multitude of, of uh, various packages for the, in, the incorrect street, and they're saying that if we wish to toss them out or keep it because will reorder for this other Oh, interesting. Jennifer, thank you for that. Um, I guess, thank you. That's one of the problems, I guess, with Amazon. Uh, There is the convenience, but there are issues, clearly. I wasn't necessarily recommending Amazon because I know a lot of people don't even want to use it, but it does have this convenience. Uh, CBC, CBC Marketplace did a show in the last year showing that when things are returned to Amazon, usually they're never sold again. They're just thrown out which is quite wasteful, but that's how the company, I guess, makes sure that, uh, you know, things keep moving. And uh, uh, if, you can, if you're worried about, you know, returns just going into the garbage, maybe you have to look for another big retailer to shop from. Okay, Zoom was uh, the probably the biggest trend. Uh, Zoom meetings, Zoom calls in 2020. Did that carry on through this past year? Uh, pretty well, yes, because, uh, like, I'm in a book club. We have 15 people. Um, we used to meet at people's homes, but for many of us, most of us, I would think our living room is not big enough to hold 15 people and space them out well. So we're continuing to meet on Zoom and we don't like it that much because we used to have a half hour of socializing before the meeting. So, and we'd have cookies and coffee and stuff. Now we're just, uh, you know, opening up the lines and people can come in early, but it's harder to have individual conversations on Zoom. I hear from a lot of people like, uh, that where where sometimes we would just have catch up meetings like friendly catch up meetings they're saying i'm all zoomed out i've had enough <laughs> and it's hard because it it's tiring to keep looking at yourself all the time mm-hmm. and uh many people aren't really good at zoom and all of a sudden you hear all this background noise which tends to be way louder on zoom than it probably should be and uh it, it's not the greatest way of of doing things but in a time when we're all concerned about going out and being in crowds, probably Zoom will continue to have a, a, a prominent role. Well, there may be a resurgence over the next couple of months with Omicron if we're told to stay home uh, again. Uh, that's very likely could happen. I also want to talk to you about telecommunications. Um, my husband and I just recently went from traditional cable to the Ignite TV. Um, it, it is a better deal, uh, and you're able to pick your channels. So if I want to pick Vision TV and One TV, which are Zoomer Media Properties, I can go in and get those. Um, and it just seems to have more options and it's more cost effective. Um, but, the, but the old way is getting much more expensive. So is that a trend that people going to this new technology to watch television? Oh, definitely. Uh, and also, some people are giving up their traditional cable and just relying on streaming services like Netflix or Prime Video or Disney Plus or um, Apple Plus. There's a lot of quality TV programs. And if you watch the awards, they're often picking up the awards over the more traditional TV and, and movies. So you can save money that way. Netflix this year finally has to pay sales tax or add sales tax to the bills, which it wasn't doing before. So it's gone up a little, but still maybe 11 or $12 a month, whereas if you had the uh, cable package from Rogers or Bell, it would probably be like $50, $60 a month, a lot more. And another one people are buying, uh, which you can do with Ignite, is HBO Crave. And it's, it's not inexpensive, but, uh, you know, the, the show that everybody's been talking about because it just had its, uh, its final uh, uh, show on Sunday, Succession. Yes. Everybody was saying that the Rogers uh, dispute in Canada with all the, the, the children vying for running the company reminded them of, of this TV show, Succession. Uh, that's been on HBO, and it's been really fun to watch. So if you just bought that and didn't buy your traditional channels, you can save money. So there's a lot of choice. We've had Ignite for a little while, and one of the things we like about it is that you can um, go uh, to a show late and catch up. You can uh, go fast through the commercials. 
it gives you a lot of control, and it's not like a traditional kind of TV show. You don't have to tape things if you're not around. Usually, right. you can just find them later. Yeah, we're like little kids. Yeah. <laughs> All the the gadgets and the ease of going from uh, program to program, and as you say, not worrying about uh, jumping into a program a few minutes late. Um, as we wrap up here, Ellen, we're running out of time. Um, record levels of inflation. We are all dealing with that, and it's leaving people worried about how this will impact their household income. That is certainly a trend for 2021. Advice, guidance on that going into the new year? Well, the biggest item uh, for inflation these days is gasoline. And unfortunately, there's not too much you can do about it. It's up about 30% since last year. Uh, I don't even see a whole lot of competition among gas stations anymore. They all seem to be more or less in the same range in terms of prices. Uh, but one thing you can do if you're driving less than you did before, call up your insurance company and make sure that your car insurance rates are adjusted to the new driving levels because that can save you some money and at least maybe hope to compensate. Groceries are also a very high item uh, and they're going up. Uh, the biggest one uh, uh, is beef. So probably cut down on some of that meat and make it uh, uh, not every day and maybe make it part of a meal rather than the focus of a meal. Um, and there, there was some good news on inflation. Uh, mortgage interest rates are down almost 10% in one year. Uh, phone services are down 14%, travel and tourism, uh, 20%, and, uh, passenger, uh, car insurance down 6%, and fresh vegetables down 5%. So if you're not eating as much meat, try to buy some fresh vegetables, of which you can still find quite a variety. We will leave our discussion on that positive note. Thank you so much, Ellen, for your time. Thanks a lot, Jane. Bye. Consumer advocate Ellen Roseman with the trends, consumer trends of 2021. Jane for Libby, she's back tomorrow, as is Bob Compsick right now with the news here on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now... Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off today, enjoying her birthday. She will be back tomorrow. And yes, sure, go ahead. Wish her a happy birthday at Libby at Zoomer.ca. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. I think we all need to take a deep breath as the situation around Omicron changes on a daily basis and not in a good way. We're going to be hearing from Premier Doug Ford and Medical Officer of Health Dr. Kieran Moore at 3.30 this afternoon. The original time was 2 p.m. There are indications the Premier will make an announcement about third-shot boosters. We also learned from Dr. Moore yesterday that there could be reimposed public health restrictions announced by the end of this week. Let's start the show by going to Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Advisory Table. Dr. Uni, welcome back, and thank you for always making time for us on Fight Back. Thanks for having me again. It's just important we're in this together and we just need to deal with it if we want or not. Well, and that is, uh, that's a nice way of putting it because it's, I think it's been difficult for people the last few days to grasp the enormity of what could happen with Omicron. And it's, it's, it, it, it's a bit, you know, I don't want to use the word depressing, but I think it's tough for people. Oh, I agree. You know, I mean, I've been on this now since 1st of March 2020. I can tell you I could scream, but it doesn't help. We need to see it through. We know what to do. We can do it together. I was, you know, again and again, just just so uh, you know, impressed by our population here in Ontario, how well we actually did. You know, it's difficult, but we, we help. And that's the point. We can do that again. This one is more challenging than the other one. We need to be aware of that. But uh, we just need to get ready and then through it. So, Dr. Uni, where are we right now? How bad is the Omicron situation today on Wednesday uh, versus the previous days? Oh, um, I haven't fully updated the dashboard yet, but probably today we will reach or have reached 50% now. Um, I, I don't know yet. I can tell you in an hour or so it will be updated on our dashboard then. Um, uh, our, um, our effective goes up. 
that's normal uh, because we uh, we now approach this 50%. So Omicron is now slowly taking over. And, uh, and uh, we are now roughly in the situation where South Africa was mid of November. No, that's, so means we will not see anything yet regarding hospitalizations. Um, we will not see anything yet regarding uh, ICUs. The next thing that will come now is that we will see an acceleration of case numbers. And this will then take, you know, this acceleration will then start to translate into a hospital admission perhaps in about 10 days or so from now. So what happens with the Delta variant? Does it, it just get squeezed out? I mean, how does that work? It's, the, it, it's just a competition. But to be honest with you, I, I, I keep being fascinated how these changes actually happen. It really seems to negatively impact on the growth of Delta as well. Um, it's not a, that Delta merely just grows as it grew, it grew before. It actually slows down. Part of that is probably, you know, that our behavior changes. You know, people are more concerned, uh, rightly so, and therefore their behavior changes. And uh, for Delta, it's a difficult life. And we don't know yet, will it be the same as what we saw in the past, you know, when, when Alpha was crushed by, by vaccination and Delta. Um, there, uh, it just disappeared. Completely. Here it could be that we have some coexistence, you know, that we continue to have perhaps 1,000 cases or so a day with Delta. And we just see exponential growth ongoing with, uh, with Omicron. We will find out how it goes. Or Delta gets completely crushed because of the public health measures. And both is possible. Interesting. Okay, so you've just given us new information that half of the cases uh, announced today are likely Omicron. I, I expect it. I haven't verified that yet. Uh, I didn't have time. I've, I'm sure. giving too many interviews, but it looks like, yeah. And and will uh, the quickness of its spread remain at a doubling every three days? Um, right now it does. We will see how this goes. It again depends on us, obviously. And, uh, you know, this follows a, a certain, um, growth pattern. We call that logarithmic growth. So it's not linear. You know, it just goes at a straight line from zero to 100. It's like a sigma, this thing. So, so if we then approach 90% or so, it will flatten when you look at it from, uh, you know, from the, uh, the percentage. If you just look at the percentage there, um, and it typically, we don't know yet. Will it take over completely or, you know, will we stay at 90% Omicron or so? But it typically um, will take three to four weeks from 5% to 95%. So based on how quickly it spreads in terms of the modeling uh, and looking ahead, how high could the daily case count go? Oh, it depends entirely on us and it depends on, you know, the, uh, the vulnerable population out there. The problem is that all of us for infection, not for hospital admission, but for infection are vulnerable if we haven't had the third dose or the second dose within the last roughly two to three months or so. Then we're vulnerable for infection. So there's a large pool of people and we need to be aware of that. We probably will see a modification of what we see in South Africa. You know, there will be a lot of people who will get infected. They will have, um, you know, okay symptoms. They're knocked out a bit, but uh, it's not that bad. Why? Because they... Uh, were vaccinated fully with two doses and or were infected before. And then there are those people who are not immune at all, no vaccine, no infection. And that's the people then who predominantly will end up in our hospitals together, of course, with, you know, vulnerable people, elderly people, etc., who have protection with the vaccine. But since they bring in such a high risk, there is still then some of those people will also end up in hospital. I'm with Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, Jane for Libby, on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Um, well, that takes us to our next concern. For those of us who have yet to get a booster, and, you know, I'm in line myself, uh, my husband and I going on Sunday to get our booster, but, you know, it's been well over five months now since we got mm-hmm. our second shot. So for those of us in that window between 12 weeks out from getting our second shot, should we should we be staying home as much as possible? I mean, what would you advise before we get our booster? 
you just behaved the way you did uh, before vaccines were available. We had now a moment where we all felt relatively safe. And again, be aware of, we're still much better protected against hospital admission, isolation and death, period. That's based on everything we know very, very likely, which is great news. But if you don't want to contribute to the mess, you know, with uh, to the chain of transmission, then you just behave, uh, think back how it was then. That's what I do. You know, my booster, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm six months after the, uh, the second shot has been about five days ago. And my booster will be on Christmas Day. And, uh, well, it doesn't matter anyway. I'm just home and work anyway. But still, the point is... Um, I just wouldn't go to uh, to any places that are higher risk. So avoid any uh, crowded indoor spaces. It's as simple as that. Always wear your mask. If you need to go for to shop, that's completely unproblematic. You just wear a good mask and avoid crowding there too. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't do indoor dining right now if you haven't had your third shot. Don't do indoor dining if you haven't had your third well, shot. Well, that's what I would do. You know, it's not that I would would say that's a general guidance. So, so don't say Dr. Uni has said, you know, that's not the guidance. I'm not the chief medical officer of health. Understood. But personally, why would you risk it right now? Which is great. And, uh, you know, relatively soon you have the third shot and this adds protection. So if you've got theater tickets, if you've got tickets to go see the Raptors or the Leafs, or you were thinking about going out to celebrate your anniversary on Friday night, you would say reconsider those plans if you are not two weeks out from your bo- your booster, I guess. Yeah, look, we're in a crisis, and I think we just need to adapt our plans a bit. You know, we had an Airbnb in the state of New York wanted to go skiing. I, will, uh, I still didn't have time to cancel it, need to cancel that. Yeah, that's just part of it. You know, it could be much worse. And it's so, you know, what happens with this wave is nearly everybody will get infected who is, uh, who hasn't had a vaccine yet. Meaning after this wave, things are bound to slow down and will be less challenging for the healthcare system because everybody brings in some sort of immunity. That's, you know, that's what's coming next. But we just need to go through this wave now together. What can you tell us? I, I'm Premier Doug Ford is making an announcement at 3.30 this afternoon. It was originally 2 o'clock. I mean, obviously, you want him to deliver that information. But what kind of guidance have you and your colleagues on the science table offered to the Premier and the Cabinet Ministers in terms of the direction we should go as a larger society? Oh, uh, you know, we will have modelling again. And the modelling, of course, also includes key messages. This will come out very soon. I can't tell you exactly when, but it, I mean, it's obvious what we need to do if we want to have this a bit under control. You know, it's about blunting the wave. We can't just undo what's happening right now. So one thing is we just need to make sure that our um, contacts on average just are reduced 40-50% or so. It's really this is about, you know, just first of all, distinguishing between high-risk and low-risk settings, but you know that all at nauseam. Meanwhile, uh, it's basically restaurants, bars, clubs, uh, where we don't even wear masks and stay for a long time, that's, uh, that's just a challenge. So we need to do something decreasing capacity. If you have really large gatherings, you know, uh, meaning on uh, the sports arena or so, it's probably not a good idea if you keep it that large, you know, knowing that now unvaccinated people can also get infected. Um, but also, you know, of course, cinemas where we sit for two hours together, this is all much more challenging and therefore we need to address this more with capacity limits than, let's say, retail. As long as we don't, you know, merrily uh, just just have a feast in the eating center in the middle. If people are just orderly, they have masks, they don't crowd, etc. Retail is much less of an issue, for example. Okay. Um, that's these sorts of things. And then the other part, of course, is, you know, just uh, do what probably you and I are doing. I'm not sure whether you're in a studio or, or work from home. Yes, we in a studio. We should work from home as much as we can again, uh, just to make it through this wave. This is all about minimizing our contacts with other people. Because these viruses don't have legs or wings, they need people. That's us. So we can do what we need to do. That's decrease our contacts, wear our masks, don't go to crowded places indoors. Okay. Let's go to Ken in London. Ken has a question or an observation. Go ahead, Ken. Hello, Jane. Dr. Uni, in London, Middlesex, people 65 and older, some of us, got our booster shot with it five months 
And you say the sweet spot is six months. So how well are we going to be covered? And who is monitoring this five months? Because I've never heard or read about it anyplace else. Yes. So first of all, you got your second shot five months ago or your third shot five months ago? Third. The booster shot. Well, you got your, Ken, you got your third shot five months after your second shot. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Here we are. Now, uh, you know, this will be something that's forthcoming. We're currently discussing in the background for situations like yours. But right now, this is mainly in long-term care homes and retirement homes. And what to do with a potential fourth dose right now because we're in a crisis situation. We have a lot of uncertainty there. You know, we don't have evidence yet. Be aware of how we need to work right now with the vaccines we have. There is no time to develop new ones and then just have Omicron-specific vaccines. So there may, there may be situations, this is being looked at right now, um, where we will see that, uh, that we, we would offer fourth doses. Right now, if you have had a third dose, you're probably reasonably well protected against the uh, serious outcomes. It will depend on your um, antibody levels that you have, um, how well you are protected against infection, and it just means you need to be careful. But you absolutely have a point. There will be a moment probably where we might in certain situations say, okay, people are long enough after their third dose they might need, now in this crisis situation, a fourth. If we were in spring, you know, I would say it's okay. You know, we then need to uh, rediscuss and uh, probably by then we have new vaccines. And what happens next autumn? But right now we're just in the middle of this. Okay, Ken? Uh, I guess it has to be. Well, you're in yeah. a pretty, you're in a good place. You've but had I, your third shot. Yeah, but it was a month ago we got this. This was before this micron come out. Well, but at, but at the same time, right, Dr. Uni, those who got yeah. a third shot a month ago, they are no, in a good place. Good. Yeah, that's all good. We're just talking about once you're down the line five to six months after. Actually, I misunderstood you. I thought it's five months ago since your uh, third shot uh, for, for whatever reason. Look, if you have had your third shot a month ago, relax. Right. The point is you will make it into spring and, uh, you know, all will be merry in spring. You know, we will be outdoors. The wave is over. You know, we need to uh, clean out all the dust, you know, and all the detriments after that. But this is fine. And then we will need to look into an dose, which uh, will be a bit like the flu shot only in autumn. So you are actually in a really good spot. I completely agree with you. And, well, and let me ask you this, Dr. Uni. Uh, you've mentioned that uh, for the Omicron variant, efficacy of the second shot starts to wane after 12 weeks. Do you suspect that will be the same with the booster, that it will start to wane against Omicron after 12 weeks? We don't know. You know, what is certainly so is that uh, if with this third dose, we will generate a more mature immune response. But to be honest with you, uh, we don't know how this will all play out. It's most likely that if it comes to infection, yes, it will wane again, but we don't know when. Will it be after three months, four months, five months? It's much of a difference the second versus the third shot. Nobody knows. We will find out as we go. I would expect, based on theoretical reasons, that our uh, protection against severe disease will be maintained for considerably longer after the third shot. We do have some Zoomer radio listeners who want to ask you a question, Dr. Uni. I know we were supposed to let you go by 1220. Can you stay for a few more minutes? I can. Let me quickly check my diary. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I know you're a busy guy. I see you on TV uh, as well as here on uh, Fight Back all the time. Let me me quickly see. Today is is Wednesday. I can do it. It's okay. Okay, just a couple of more minutes. No, no, it's fine. But I have a question first. Now, when I spoke with you last Monday, so December 6th, you talked about the need for public health restrictions in some regions. Yes. We had just heard about um, Windsor-Essex. Do you think yes. that should be across the board now? Yeah, look, we're now really in a situation where things become uh, increasingly clear. Uh, Omicron is uh, taking over, uh, happening uh, perhaps today, tomorrow, you know, becoming dominant, more than 50%. And uh, now we need to do things on a, at the provincial level. But I said, you know, last time this was in a situation where Delta was the struggle and we tried to push back uh, regarding Omicron as much as we can. That's not where we are anymore. You know, it looks like an eternity a week. <laughs> it, it really <laughs> does. I know so much has happened since I last talked with you. Let's go to Ian in London. Ian, you have a question for Dr. Uni. Uh, yes, I have Mervis tickets for next week. It's going to be full house. 
but they check uh, vaccination passports and uh, people are double vaxxed. Yes or no, should I go? You tell me. What would you say? Well, there's no uh, distancing whatsoever. You're maybe an inch from the person beside you in front and back. So I'm uh, choosing not to go. Ian, I think, uh, that's very yeah, nice. I think it is too, Ian. I was in the exact same situation. Myron and I had tickets for Come From Away tonight and we're not going. Great. Okay, so, thanks very okay, much. Okay, thanks for calling. Let's go to Susan in St. Catharines. Go ahead, Susan. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my belief is that all of the uh, virus, they mutate. So the Delta has mutated to the new one. It doesn't no, it necessarily hasn't. come it hasn't. from Africa, and the, it's going to increase now. Okay, uh, so Susan is misinformed there. We're just going to let her go. Dr. Eunice, you can clarify. Yes, so just quickly, that's very important. It's not a mutated Delta, what we have seen. This is a separate strain that if you think about this as a tree, this is like a completely different branch of the tree, what we see with Omicron. Therefore, nobody saw it coming. What probably happened there, we can't prove that, you know, but this is a situation where probably somebody, for instance, with the untreated HIV, this happened 7% of the adult population, that's a tragedy in South Africa, has not only HIV, about 20% of the adult population has HIV, but 7% are not treated or not adequately treated. So those people with, who are immunocompromised, they then can have a longer term chronic infection and one plausible hypothesis is that this, in such a chronic infection, this virus had this uh, possibility to continue to mutate and then emerged from a person who was uh, actually immunocompromised because us as a society can't pull off proper global health and still have the scandal of an HIV um, epidemic going on in Southern Africa. That's what how it backfires. So it's a completely different um, uh, virus compared with Delta. I was scared that Delta could mutate, actually, um, and uh, really just could bring this to the next level. I also was in the media talking about that. Let's hope this doesn't happen. And now there's just another one. Will it continue to mutate? Yes, it will. We need to be aware of that. But the point here is, once all of us have reached a certain amount of immunity, things will look much more similar than what we see with other viruses. That's the idea. This doesn't mean we don't need then, you know, booster shots and real booster shots, you know, perhaps every, every year in autumn or so. But the challenge we have right now is just that we have a lot of unvaccinated, non-immune people out there. That's what is challenging the healthcare system predominantly, plus vulnerable people like in long-term care homes. Dr. Uni, we do have more questions for you, but uh, we need to move on to the next segment. And as always, we appreciate your time and uh, we'll speak to you probably within a few days. Okay, good luck and stay positive. We can do that, okay? Yes, thank you very much for that. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Advisory Table. Coming up next, we'll find out what yesterday's fiscal update means for Canadians and our economy. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.